chapter 1. Starting out this new series, and the series itself is called Struggle Well. Struggle Well. Father, as we come before you today, starting this new series, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to concentrate on what Peter is trying to tell us. Lord, we will all find times in our lives where we struggle or facing some sort of trial. And Lord, often in those times, we're tempted to give up. I pray, Lord, in those times, you would help us to be able to come back to and reflect on the things that Peter is saying uh, in this letter. Teach us how to struggle well and thereby glorify you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start reading at verse 1 and go down to verse 9 for today. It reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Today we start our series on 1 Peter titled Struggle Well. I know this title uh, may seem strange to some of us (laughs) because we think that struggling is abnormal for Christians. We have been taught mostly through uh, TV, uh, Christian um, television, (laughs) that when we come to faith in Jesus, that life is supposed to be a bed of roses. We are taught that if we have faith in God, he will heal us, he will deliver us, he will set us free from all of our struggles. Just if you have enough faith, then you can get out of any problem and get whatever you want from God. We have been taught that coming to Jesus is the solution to all of our troubles. (coughs) And yet, 
That is not what we see taught in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus himself tells us, in this world, you will have tribulation. And then Paul goes on to tell us, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We have not been promised a life that is free from struggle. In fact, we have been promised the complete opposite. <laughs> we have been promised that you will struggle. For the Christian, life is not about the absence of struggle. It is about how to successfully navigate struggles. And the question is, how do I know that? How do I know that Christianity is not about getting out of struggle, it is about successfully, successfully navigating struggles. The answer is by looking at Jesus's full statement that I just read and then Paul's full statement that I just read. I'm not going to have you turn to it. I'm going to read you the statement that Jesus gave, the full statement in John chapter 16, verse 33. This is what Jesus um, says. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Notice here that Jesus says, in spite of whatever you encounter in the world, you can be cheerful not because you will lack problems in the world, but in me you will have peace. And because I have overcome the world, you can be cheerful. Jesus does not promise that because you're in the world and you know him, you will have no problems. Jesus prob promises that you will have problems in the world, but in him, you will have peace. Paul's whole statement in 2 Timothy, cha Timothy chapter 3 is this. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, and what, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. I was in persecution, and I had to go through them. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and ro worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Now, notice here that Paul talks about trials or persecutions that he has to endure. And he says to us that evil people will continue to grow worse and worse, but you must continue, you must endure in the things that you have learned. Now, someone may say, but Paul says, he suffered, um, he endured persecution, and out of them all, the persecutions, the Lord delivered him. Is that what Paul says? Yes. Y'all like, I don't know. This might sound like a trick question. It's not a trick question. Just read the text. <laughs> okay. That is exactly what Paul said. He says he endures many persecutions, but the Lord delivered him out of all of them. Okay. So he went through persecutions. God spared his life. He was not killed. Now, doesn't that contradict what I'm saying? Doesn't it sound as if Paul is saying you go through persecutions, but God will deliver you from them? That's it's not a trick question. 
He like, I don't know where he going with this one. So it's not a trick question. That, that's what it sounds like Paul is saying, right? But here's the here's the question. Where is Paul when he's writing Second Timothy? In jail. What happens very shortly after Paul finishes Second Timothy? He's beheaded. This is Paul's last letter. God didn't deliver him from all of his persecutions. Because right after finishing this letter, Nero had him beheaded. God is not going to deliver us from every trial. Paul went through many persecutions and God spared his life through them, but he had to go through them. (laughs) He had to go through those persecutions. And we know that this last persecution, God did not deliver him. If the New Testament teaches that we will have struggles and that God will not save us from all of them, it is imperative that we learn to struggle well. And this is going to be the goal of and the goal and the encouragement of this series to teach you how to struggle well. Now, I want to first address briefly what I think is probably the number one barrier to people learning how to struggle well. And I think that that number one barrier is a lack of hope. Because we think that struggles are abnormal for Christians most of us approach them in a spiritually and mentally unprepared way. And therefore, we are guaranteeing that we will not navigate our struggles well. We approach this from the perspective that, first of all, I'm not even supposed to struggle. I'm, I'm a Christian. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. And so I, struggles are abnormal. And, and then, not only do we think that struggles are abnormal, we have been discipled to think that if I just exercise enough faith, this is going to all go away. If I pray hard enough or long enough, if I fast um, 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 long enough, if I, if, I, if I do all the right things, if I give money, if I read the scriptures, you know how we do. You know, I'm going through something, and then it's like this has been in the back seat collecting dust, and it's sitting in the sun so long it curled up. <laughs> but when we go through something, you're like, <laughs> it's like we just flip it open and be like, what God got to say? <laughs> you know, we carry it like a rabbit's foot. And because we, that is the mindset that we have when it comes to suffering and trials and scripture, we are mentally and spiritually unprepared when it comes. We think that God is going to always either make our struggles brief or he is going to miraculously save us from them. Either way, our mindset is, God is going to fix this. And we pray over and over. God, please fix it. 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 <laughs> okay. But then God doesn't answer us. He doesn't respond. 
he says nothing to us. And the longer that the trial continues, the more it seems that God is not listening. It is at this point that we begin to fall into feelings of despair. And we realize that we are powerless to do anything about our circumstance. And the one who can do something about it won't do anything about it. And so then our feelings of despair turn into feelings of hopelessness. And we lose hope not only in our circumstance, we even lose hope in God. Now, Peter knows a, a thing or two about suffering. As a matter of fact, when, Peter, when, when Paul was beheaded, Peter was then, um, was, was then crucified upside down. They both were killed by Nero at the same time. <coughs> and so Peter knows a thing or two about suffering. So here, Peter starts his epistle by giving us reasons to hope in the midst of our struggles. Here we learn that struggling well has little to do with the hope that our struggles will end soon or in our favor. See, that, that's what we usually hope in, is that this is going to be very short, and so I can, I can hold on. <laughs> or this is going to end in my favor, so I can hold on. But what happens when it's not brief and it does not turn out in your favor? Can you still hope? Peter, who knows a thing or two about his struggles, starts his epistle by giving us reason to hope in the midst of our struggles. Here we learn that struggling well has little to do with the hope that our struggles will end soon or in our favor. Struggling well comes from holding on to our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me ask you this question. What do you think all of the best athletes have in common? Discipline, stamina, work ethic, commitment, competitions, endurance, being competitive, commitment, money. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. I think that all of these things, are, uh, uh, everything you said is true. But I think that we can boil down all of those things. I think that we can boil all of those things down to muscle memory. Muscle memory. The best athletes are the best, of course, because they, they have natural skill, but because they practice every single day. They practice every single day. Day. I remember uh, Michael Phelps did an interview and they were asking him what's his, his uh, routine. He says he is in the water eight hours every single day. Swimming laps, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Every single day. You ask a basketball player, why are they good? Because all day long they... All day long, we like, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm going to watch TV. Nope. They out there. Football player, why are they good? Every day, every single day, every single day. They run practices, they run drills. They know all of the different scenarios. 
and they practice for every single scenario so that when a scenario comes up, they don't have to stop and think like, wait, what do I do this time? What do I do? What do I do? I remember practicing this. The scenario comes up. They don't think about it. Their body responds. It's muscle memory. They have practiced over and over and over. They don't have to think anymore. They, they, they see the ball, boom, they see it. They, they, they know how to move. They know what to do. Muscle memory is what I think is common amongst all of them. They condition their mind and their bodies for all possibilities that may come their way so they don't have to think. They only have to respond to the circumstance. Now, question. Why do most Christians fail to struggle well during hard times? It's not muscle memory. There you go. I'm like, did they get it, Lord? Did they get it, Lord? <laughs> <laughs> I would argue that the reason that we as Christians fail to struggle well when we go through circumstances is because we do the opposite of what most best athletes do. We don't develop spiritual muscle memory. We don't develop our spiritual muscle memory. We don't spend time daily in prayer. We don't spend time daily reading the Bible. We don't, <laughs> we don't spend time learning, um, learning the word. We don't spend time in, in, in praise and worship with God. We, we spend time watching TV, watching the news, playing on Facebook, being on Instagram, making TikTok videos. <laughs> we don't spend time practicing spiritual disciplines like fasting which is designed to put you in control of your body so that you respond the right way. We put no consistent effort into training ourselves for godliness, as Paul puts it. So that when the trials of life come, we have no spiritual muscle memory to call on for help. I mean, I know the Bible says something like this. I'm like, does it say something like that? I don't know, doesn't it? You know, I remember one time somebody said um, to me, I'm not going to say who it was. The Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm like, no, it does not say that. Yes, it does. I'm like, no, it does not say that. Yes, it does. I, I remember reading it before. <laughs> I'm like, sure, take me. <laughs> I had to get them. That's because I was growing up and I never kept my room clean. And they was like, you know, the Bible says, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm like, don't do that one. <laughs> I ain't going to go clean my room, though. It's like the <laughs> we don't know what the Bible says. We, 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 aren't, we aren't really sure. So when circumstances come our way, we haven't developed the muscle memory to fall back on so that we can respond properly and struggle well. Does everyone see my analogy? In the absence of this spiritual muscle memory, hopelessness and despair can easily creep in. In the absence of this spiritual muscle memory, we begin to tell ourselves and believe the wrong story. Oftentimes when we go through things, people will come and, and they will say, I just think God is, is angry at me. 
Why, why would you think God is angry with you? Because, you know, I come to church, I read my Bible, and, you know, I, I just don't know why God is not answering my prayers. Sometimes people will come and to say, and it's like, I just struggle. I don't think God loves me. But if, if God loved me, he would, you know, he would answer my prayer. Sometimes people come and they'll say they just want to give up on God. They just don't, they don't see the point. I don't, I don't feel a connection with God anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't feel anything when I pray. I want us to, to hear very clearly um, what I'm trying to say. Okay. I think that this, this is the main reason that we don't struggle well. If we have not developed the muscle memory to fall back on, we're going to fall back on something, and it's going to be the wrong story. The reason that we go through struggles and we then start to think, well, God is mad at me. Maybe I committed some sin and that I don't know about, and, you know, God is punishing me for this. And The reason we fall back on the wrong story is because we haven't trained our minds to, to keep falling on the right story. We, we fail to develop the muscle memory of eternal hope. Now, I want to jump into these verses very briefly. I'm not going to uh, uh, spend a, a ton of time of going through every single uh, phrase in here. <laughs> There's a lot. But I want us to look at, at, um, at these verses. I, I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 5. Um, and and I'm, I'm calling this the muscle memory of eternal hope, the muscle memory of eternal hope. And then in verses six through nine, I want us to see the positive and negative goal of every trial. The positive and negative goal of every trial. Now, when you learn how to drive a car, you probably uh, did exactly the same thing everybody did. Okay. You get behind the wheel, and you don't want to crash the car. You want to stay in between the lines. So what did you do? You, you look just ahead of you. If I, could, if, I could, if I could stay focused on the road right ahead of me, I can't hit anything. Okay. And, and, and what did your instructor keep telling you to do? L look up. You, you look up and see everything. You know, like, but no, but I, it's like if, if I can focus on the five feet in front of me, I can't hit anything. Right. And it, no, you got to look up. To not hit anything, you got to see everything around. You got to see the whole picture. You got to see the whole story. And I think that this is what John is trying to get us to, to see here. He's trying to get us to, to not focus in just on this circumstance that we're in. He wants us to broaden our picture so that we can see the whole story around us. And this is how we develop spiritual muscle memory. Developing the, the muscle memory of eternal hope is similar to learning how to drive a car. If we keep our eyes down spiritually and focus only on the circumstance that we are in, we will become hopeless because... To be honest, most of our circumstances are hopeless. 
without God, there is nothing to hope for through these things. But if we train our spiritual eyes to see our circumstances in the context of our eternal hope, we look up and see the circumstance that we're in, but in light of the whole big picture, instead of feeling hopelessness and crashing our car spiritually, <laughs> we will get to learn how to struggle well. And that's what I want us to see. So how do we develop spiritual muscle memory? The muscle memory of eternal hope. Uh, we have to repeatedly tell ourselves the right story. Peter does this in verses 1 through 5. Notice that in this, that this is the eternal story that Peter is telling us. It begins in eternity past, and it goes through eternity future. Peter is not focusing in just on the individual trial that you're going through. He's trying to make you look up to see what God did for you in eternity past, and what he is doing for you in eternity future, and there you will find your eternal hope. Now, look at verses 1 through 5. Again, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims in, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's talking about people who have been probably at this time, if, if, um, if we are correct in our understanding of this, the Jews would have been kicked out of Rome at this time period, and this is the, is the uh, persecution that, Peter and Paul lost their lives, and he's writing to people because, you know, after Peter wrote 2 Peter, he was killed. Um <coughs> he's writing to people who have been dispersed. They have been kicked out of, of, of Rome, and they are now settled into these different places. He says, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, muscle memory and struggling well starts with our story in eternity past. Peter is trying to get us to see we have to look at our current circumstance in light of what God has done for us in the past. He starts by saying that you are elect. You are chosen by God. God handpicked you for himself. Now, how does that impact the circumstance that we're going through? Because sometimes we think that when we're going through hard times, that God has abandoned us, that God has left us, that he doesn't care about us anymore, or that he's leaving us to handle this on our own. Peter wants us to see that God did not leave you. In eternity past, before you were even created, before he even created the world, he picked you. We know Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us, elected us in him when? Before the foundation of the world, before he even created the universe, God was thinking about you. And he picked you for himself. 
Peter wants us to keep in mind that God's plan for you did not start when your struggle started. God's plan for you started before he created the universe. Now, it's interesting here. uh, Listen to what he says. He says three things about our election. First, he says we are chosen by the foreknowledge of God. Second, he says we are chosen to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And third, he says that we are are chosen to be in covenant relationship with Christ through faith. Now, what's interesting here is when he says that we have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God. And oftentimes we think of God's foreknowledge as God just knowing something before it happens, right? And so we tend to think that uh, God knew that I was going to put my faith and trust in him, and that's simply what this means. However, I want you to look over in Acts chapter 2. I want you to turn just to Acts chapter 2 real quick. And I want us to see the only other time this noun is used in the New Testament for knowledge. The only other time, the verb is used several times, but I want you to see where the only other time this noun is used. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Now, notice here, Paul says that Jesus' crucifixion was by the what? Determined plan and foreknowledge of God. Is Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, Luke, Luke wrote Acts. Is Luke saying that in eternity past, God knew people were going ju- to crucify Jesus, so he just let it happen? Or is Luke saying that the only reason Jesus' crucifixion happened was because in eternity past, God planned to kill his son? It was God's plan. God planned the death of his son for our sins. It was done by his foreknowledge. So in in, in some sense, when we talk about God's foreknowledge, we're talking about a plan that God put in motion to bring about. So when Peter says here that you have been elect, you have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, He's not saying that oh, God chose you because he knew you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. No, he's saying you put your faith in Jesus Christ because God planned for you to be his child from all eternity. God was thinking about you before he created the world. He set a plan in motion to bring you into relationship with himself. Now, for some reason, I may have to talk to God when I get to heaven. I just want to know, why you put some of these problems in, in my way? I, 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 ca- I could have came to you in a much easier way. <laughs> okay. All right. It, it didn't take all of that. Okay. <laughs> but his plan is to bring you to himself. 
we have to make sure we tell ourselves the right story. Because if we see our circumstance in light of all that God has done for us in eternity past, we will recognize that in some way God wants to use this circumstance to bring about our good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We don't understand it all. But we know God has not left us. He's not just ignoring us. He's allowing us to go through this for a reason. We just need to learn how to struggle well. It is amazing to know that in eternity past, God wanted me and he picked me for his purposes. But that is not all that Peter is trying to tell us. That is not where Peter ends. Our hope is not to be found in God's past actions. It is also to be found in the hope that we have for God's future action for us. Peter goes on to say in verses three and four, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of the of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved for you in heaven here i think that peter is trying to help us to see that we were god's enemies and we were dead in our sins that that's a hopeless situation but instead of god crushing us and killing us as he should god exercised his mercy and gave us a new birth we we were born again he gave us new life. He made us his children. Remember, he says he used the word father here, right? The idea of new birth gives you the idea of, of a parent, someone giving you life, right? This whole idea is drenched in the fact that what God did, he did it to make us his children. Our new birth here, as Peter tells us, includes two things. Notice the two things that Peter says is included in our new birth. Number one we have a living hope, and number two, we have an inheritance. Number one, we have a living hope, and number two, we have an inheritance. One of the things that I've learned over the, uh, through personal experience and also by talking to hurting people over the past 20 years is that hopelessness and suffering feels like death. When you are longing for something, when you are pursuing something, when you are dreaming about accomplishing some type of task, and then all of those dreams and those hopes are crushed, it feels like death. When you put all of your hope and resources into starting a business, but it never gets off the ground, that feels like a part of you has died. When you feel trapped in circumstances, you feel like there's no way out, and you know that you are powerless to change those circumstances, and so you're stuck to keep going through it over and over and over and over and over again, it often feels like you're dying on the inside. Sometimes people go through things or experience painful losses, like losing their entire family in a tragic accident or losing all of their possessions that they have in this life. And the best that they could do is hope for death. Pain and suffering and hopelessness feels like death. And to those Christians who feel like they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, 
Peter wants to remind you, right, he wants us to develop this muscle memory, that our new birth transcends death. You may feel that the circumstances that you are in is making you want to long for death. You feel like you're dying on the inside. But our new birth transcends death. It is a living hope, as Peter says. We have a living hope, and that hope is because Jesus died and rose again, you will too. There is hope beyond the grave and beyond this life. And regardless of what you go through in this world, you have a future hope. Your circumstance is not the end for you. I was talking to somebody <laughs> recently, and I, they got to be like 26 or something like that. And they were telling me about a circumstance in their life, and they literally feel that this is the end for them. And I'm just like, at 26? <laughs> I mean, their idea is that, you know, they, they're working hard, they, they're trying to get going in their career, and, and things is not working out for them, and, and they just feel like, you know, they've, they've passed the time of life where, you know, they, have to, they should know what, what life is going to be like, and they should be successful in their career, and I'm just like, bro, you're only 26. Like, you got, like, 10 more years to mess around and, like, literally. You can wait till you're, like, 35 to figure this all out and still be able to retire after working 30 years, <laughs> right? It's not hopeless. But, but sometimes we feel like this circumstance is, is, is killing me. It's, I have no hope, right? But Peter here is trying to help us to see our hope is not in those circumstances. If you got every single thing you wanted, think of this, okay? You can snap your fingers. God gave you a little genie, and you can rub the lamp. Okay. And you got every single thing you wanted in this world. Would you really be happy? <laughs> They'd be like, I'd be real close. <laughs> They're like, let me test this out and see. <laughs> okay. But think about it. How many millionaires and billionaires commit suicide? How, how many superstars are on drugs? Getting everything that you want in this life does not give you hope. It barely gives you happiness. <laughs> Our hope cannot be found in things in this life. Our hope has to be a living hope, and that means that our hope has to be found beyond this life and beyond the grave. In addition to having a living hope, Peter says that our new birth comes with a future inheritance. Think about this. How much of our struggles in this life involves our desire for material possessions, to either get those possessions or to keep those possessions? How Think about the struggles that you have. How much uh, does that center around stuff? How much? 90? 
No fighting in church. Okay. How many hours do you work? How many multiple jobs do we have to pay for houses, cars, vacations, clothes, etc.? How many of those hours are spent or multiple jobs are spent for houses, cars, vacations, or whatever to either get them or after we have them to stop the bill collectors from calling and taking them? <laughs> we want our inheritance of the good life or the American dream, and we want them in this life and part of us chasing the good life and the american dream is what is causing us to lose hope because if we stopped chasing so much stuff we wouldn't have to work so much we wouldn't need as much money and then we wouldn't be trying to duck and be like who's that tell them i'm out here babe <laughs> you know that's how we most of us teach our kids how to lie it's like you know lying is a sin you're like Ring, ring, is your mommy home? Shh, shh, shh. Tell them I'm not here. <laughs> we want our inheritance in the good life. We want our inheritance in the American dream. But then we start to feel that we are stuck in a rat race, never able to get what we want or to keep what we want. Peter reminds us here, he wants us to retell ourselves the whole story because in telling ourselves the whole story, it becomes a part of our muscle memory. And that story is that you will not only live forever with Christ, but that God has made a reservation in heaven for you. You have a living hope and you have an inheritance that is waiting in heaven for you. So you don't have to feel hopeless because you don't have all of the material possessions this world has to offer. I'm really sad that I will never be able to get that BMW i8. <laughs> I just, I just, I just want it. I just want it because the doors go up. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just my dream. But I'm not willing to come to pay $125,000 for a car. And so I just look at it on the calendar as I flip through the, all of the other cars that I'm not ever going to get. <laughs> but I don't have to be hopeless about that. Because I have an inheritance in heaven waiting for me. Now, I don't know if it's an I-8. I don't know if they have I-8s in heaven. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm sure whatever they have is much better than what BMW can produce. <laughs> You don't have to feel hopeless because you don't have the biggest house in the best neighborhood. Because Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for you. And if he goes to prepare a place for you, he will come again to receive you unto himself. God has more than enough on hold for you in heaven to make up for anything that you do not get in this world. Peter's trying to get us to look up and to see the whole picture. In light of our eternal hope, what God has done for us in eternity past, and in light of our living hope, what he will do for us in the future beyond this life, 
All of the things that we suffer in this life is momentary and light afflictions, as Paul says. Now, the second thing I want us to look at in this passage is not only do we need to develop this muscle memory, right? Not only do we have to start taking the word and, and practicing over and over, telling ourselves the story, God loved me, he created me, he picked me for himself. I have a future hope in heaven with him. We tell ourselves the story over and over and over again. Not only do I want you to see that there, but I want us to, want us to see that there is a positive and a negative goal for every trial that we go through, right? God does not waste our suffering. He doesn't put us through things or allow us to go through things for no reason. We may not know the reason, right? I think Job is still trying to figure out, why did I do this? What, what was the purpose of this? Right? We don't always know. We may never know why God allows us to go through. But there is a positive and a negative goal that we can find out about our circumstances. Now, I want us to see first that Peter is telling us that we have to look to what God did in the past, what he will do for us in the future, but he is not trying to ignore what we go through in this present life. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, he says, You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, when people come to me, as they often do, and complain about the trial or the circumstance that they're in, they usually will say, I keep going through so many things. And I'm tempted, I don't do this, I'm tempted to give them that old cliche and say, well, just keep going. You know, y'all heard that? You know, someone's like, well, when you're, uh, when you're going through hell, keep going. Okay, uh, that. so they're like, I keep going through things. I might have like, well, just keep going, <laughs> right? The, 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 the point that I'm trying to get us, the, the, um, that I would hope that they would see, I don't say that phrase, but I, I walk them through this. The, the point that I'm trying to get us to see is, it's about what the story that we are telling ourselves. We put the emphasis on the wrong word. In the sentence, I keep going through trials, we put the emphasis on the trials, when we should put the emphasis on keep going. Because if, you're, if you keep going through trials, that means you're progressing. Right? It's all about the perspective that we are looking at. The question is that we need to ask ourselves when you feel like you are dying inside, and this is what I'm trying to get at, when you feel like you are dying inside or you want to throw in the towel on your circumstance, and if we're being honest, we want to throw the towel in on God, what keeps you from quitting? When you say, I keep going through trials, what makes you keep going? Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just give up? The truth is, and the answer is, honestly, what keeps us going through these circumstances and what we say, well, I keep going through this and I haven't, you know, but the circumstance hasn't taken me out yet. The reason the circumstance hasn't taken you out and the reason you have not quit and the reason that you keep going through has nothing to do with you and everything to do with 
Peter saying, verse 5, you are being kept through the power of God. Half the stuff that I've been through, I don't know how I got out of it. Half of it, I probably didn't want to get out of it. I just like, I could use this as an excuse to go do what I want. <laughs> you know how we do it. It's like, like the only reason I did this is because you did that. <laughs> you know, well, God didn't answer my prayer, so I'm just free to do what I want. And then you decide what you're going to go do, and then you be like, man, Why? Because you're being kept by the power of God. The, 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 the reason that sometimes people go through things and they make the wrong decisions, and you can go through the same situation and not make that same decision, has nothing to do with how smart you are. God is keeping you. The reason some people go through things and they lose complete faith in God and completely walk away. And you can go through the same exact thing and you don't completely walk away from God is because you're being kept. What we need to learn how to do. And this encompasses the whole idea of struggling well is to see that struggling well doesn't come from the absence of trials. It comes from knowing that God can keep us safe through our trials. Struggling well doesn't come from the absence of trials. It comes from knowing that God can keep us safe through our trials. Why does David say in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. See, God is not always interested in, in saving us from every trial. God wants to show us that he can take you through the trial and you can make it out okay on the other side. Struggling well recognizes that God is present with me in the trial, not that God is going to save me from the trial. Now, I think verse 5 is being contrasted with verses 6 through 9. And uh, what I think is, as we look at the contrast that is taking place in verse 5 and verses, verses 6 through 9, uh, we start to see a positive and a negative goal for these trials. Now, notice here that he says in verse 5 that we are being kept through the power of God. Why does God have to keep us? I think the answer is that if God left us on our own, we would all walk away. I ain't got time for this mess. I, 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 pr I pray, I fast, I do all the right things. They all over there, you know, living it up, 
living in sin, doing all of that stuff, having all the fun in the world. I'm over here sacrificing, trying to live holy and godly, and you ain't even going to answer my prayer? <laughs> you know, I'm just telling y'all how I think. <laughs> right? We would all walk away if God did not keep us. Because that is the goal of every trial, the negative goal of every trial. The negative goal of every trial is to turn us away from God. It's the same thing that, that Job faced. <laughs> Didn't Satan say to God, if you do this to Job, he will curse you to your face. That's the goal of the trials. The goal of the trial is to turn you away from God. There's also a positive goal. In verses 6 through 9, he tells us what the positive goal is. Listen to what he says. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Talking about uh, um, in the salvation that comes from God keeping you. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, So you're rejoicing, even though you're going through trials now, he says, what is the purpose? Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, and full of glory. Now notice what he says here. He's telling us that, number one, if God leaves us on our own, we would all fall away. It's probably why Jude says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Okay, Some of us might will fall. Some of us will run. Okay, And God's like, I'm going to keep you over here. Okay, But it is so much easier to go live life based on the simple pleasures of, of this world, right? People are living out there, they're having fun. You go through circumstances. It's so much easier to just escape into substances, physical pleasure. Just, I, I would just want to numb the pain. Now, notice, though, what he says about the positive purpose or goal of the pain. He says, God keeps us for two reasons. Number one, to prove that our faith is genuine. And number two, to bring about his praise, honor, and glory when Jesus comes. Number one, he allows these trials in order to prove that our faith is genuine. And number two, he does it to bring about praise, honor, and glory when Jesus comes. Now, you know what? On Sundays, I probably probably because I don't have anything else to do. I probably could read during this time. But, you know, I take breaks. So I be watching these shows on, I don't know if it's Bravo, whatever channel it is. But it's this show on, that come on called 90 Day Fiance, <laughs> right? And I'm just, I think I'm just intrigued by the show because I'm just be like, this really what be happening in the world? I'm like, oh, okay. So I'll be watching the show, right? So there's, it's this couple that's on there, right? And there's this one girl, I think she's from, like, Russia, and then she's dating this guy who is, like, a Mormon from Utah. And so they have met in Turkey, 
And so, you know, they, they're trying to talk things out to see if they really want to get, you know, get married and things like that. And the problem is that because they live so far away, the guy said he didn't know if they were serious. So even after they started dating, he kept seeing other people. Okay. And so, and so now he's coming clean and he's telling her that, you know, that, you know, I, now that I know that we're going to work it and be serious, I'm not going to see anybody else. Now, how does she know he's genuine? She don't. So you know what she did? She had one of her girlfriends from Russia DM him and start saying, hey, guy, you're real cute. You know, how, you know, I think we should, you know, we should hook up. And so he's holding this long conversation with this girl's friend, not knowing it's a test of the genuineness of his love. That's what Peter's saying. Peter says, the way we know that our faith is genuine is because even when it's tested by fire, we continue to praise, honor, and glorify God. Now, that's not how we typically think that we prove the genuineness of our faith. The way we would say is like, you believe in God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you know? Because I'm serious about my relationship. Oh, that's good enough. That's it. Oh, he said, he's gen- he said his faith is genuine, so God has to put it to the test. Not because God needs to know. You need to know. Right? You need to know. He says it is about the genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold. Bringing about glory, honor, and praise when Jesus comes. God is up to working out the fact that you know that your faith is genuine and at the same time, you're longing for heaven. Let me ask this que- another question. I know as, as someone who sh- struggled, struggled with this, and um, they would say that I can't really think about heaven. I mean, I, it's like I just I want to live here forever. You know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with my life. I know how things are here. And, and it's like, but I don't know what heaven is like. <laughs> you know, I've never been there. How does God make us long for heaven? If everything on her earth is great. Right? I mean, we want God to solve every problem in this world, fix every injustice, heal everybody, let there be no more problems on this earth, but what would be the need for heaven? See, God allows these things to happen to prove the genuineness of your faith and to cause you to long for Jesus to come. Why do you think at the end of the book of Revelation, he ends the book of Revelation, after all that's in, bo- in Revelation, he ends with, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The Antichrist is going to come, he's going to kill everybody, all, the earth is going to be destroyed, all of these problems. He's like, well, Jesus, please come.
Peter ends this passage, we'll out end here. He says, though now you don't see him, right? You haven't seen him, but you love him. And though you do not see him, you still believe you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse nine, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is trying to tell a group of people who had lost everything. They lost everything. They spent their entire lives working, building a home, paying it off, raising their kids, putting them through school, doing all of these things. And then persecution comes and they lost everything. They went to other cities. Now they're separated from their family and their friends. And in these other cities, people are persecuting them. They aren't get, like letting them settle down and, and enjoy life. They're struggling. They're having to start over in life from scratch. And Peter says to them, none of these things can affect what is most important, and that is your eternal salvation. You will receive the end goal of your faith, and that is the salvation of your soul. Now, Peter here is trying to give us hope. <laughs> okay. he, he's going to walk us through, as we'll see in the, in the, um, the, the rest of the sections of, of, uh, of, um, of First Peter. He, he's going to walk through specific scenarios, right? But he starts this passage out, this book out, giving us hope. What should we be focused on? He's going to address all of the circumstances that you can go through, struggles in marriage, struggles as a slave, all of these things. He's going to address these different things. But how should we look at all of those circumstances? We should look at all of those circumstances in light of the whole story. Right? And the whole story is God picked you for himself. God has a, an, an inheritance for you with Christ in heaven. He is keeping you through whatever circumstance you may go through now. So since you know past, present, and future are all taken care of, you can go through this trial. You can handle it. God is keeping you. He's going to walk with you. He's not going to leave you alone. You got this. All we got to do is learn how to walk it out. Now, that's the hardest part. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Okay. That's the hardest part. Managing your emotions and how you feel. But again, I'm trying to get us to see that in order to get through trials, you got to develop your spiritual muscle memory. You got to keep coming back to the, to the story. And help and put it on your mind every single time you're tem tempted to, to not trust or go to hopelessness. You got to come back to the story. So that you can see whatever trial or struggle you are going through in light of the big picture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to come together, look at your word. Lord. 
someone has said that each one of us is either going through a trial, about to go through a trial, or just got out of a trial. <laughs> and oftentimes that seems to be so true. Lord, often when we go through trials, we are tempted to try to manipulate you to get you to stop the trial. Promising to pray or to give or to read the Bible or to do something. And but you have something in mind with every single trial that we face. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn how to struggle well. There's just going to be things that you will not deliver us from. Because we have to learn something about ourselves and about you through those trials. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not fall into despair, not fall into hopelessness, but help us to see that you have a plan in mind. And that plan is to make us more like Jesus and to long to be with him. We ask, Lord, as we work our way through this book of First Peter, that you would continue to strengthen us, continue to encourage us, help us not to look down at the, 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 the trial that is in front of us, but help us to look up to see the big picture, to see what this trial is about in light of all that you have done in eternity past and where we will be in eternity future so that we can remain hopeful. Help us to walk with you, to honor you, to glorify you in all of our circumstances, even our trials, knowing that we will receive the end of our trials, the end of our faith, that is, and that is the salvation of our souls. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.